Welcome to the Success in Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Samir Desai, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rajani Kata. Students often ask us about the importance of research in the residency selection process and whether we would recommend that they take part in it. Should I do research and how important is it are not the only questions that were asked. Among the other common questions, how do I find research opportunities? What type of research should I do? And how do I find a mentor? In this episode, we'll answer these questions and much more. So let's get started. So Rajni, let's talk about research and the residency match. What can you tell us? Well, the most important thing for our listeners to know is that it's very important if you are applying into a competitive specialty or if you're applying into a competitive program in a less competitive specialty, you will need to have either participated in research or been published in your field or ideally both. And Samir, I know as we are currently preparing the new edition of our book, The Successful Match, we've been looking over a lot of the latest statistics from the NRMP match. Can you share some of those statistics from the latest match results? Absolutely. So if you go to the NRMP website and you access the document charting outcomes in the match, you can see just how important research is. I'll just give you a couple of examples. First, let's start with dermatology. When you look at the mean number of abstracts, publications, and presentations among matched applicants, what you're going to see is that mean number is 19. And when you compare that to applicants who went unmatched in dermatology, you'll see that group has a mean number of 11. And uh, I also looked up results for plastic surgery as well. These are two of our most competitive specialties. And interestingly, the numbers were just about the same, 19 for matched applicants versus 11 for unmatched applicants. Aren't those crazy numbers? I mean, that's really high. I feel like it's really significantly gone up since, you know, since a decade ago. I think there's just a lot more people participating in research. Would you agree? Oh, I agree 100%. And you can actually see that when you go to the NRMP website, you can access old charting outcomes in the match data. Now, they release that every two years. So you can go back two, four, six, eight years, and you can see a significant difference in these mean numbers of abstracts, publications, and presentations, not just for the most competitive specialties like dermatology and plastic surgery, but you can see it all across the board. So this is really the topic of our episode today, which is if you know that research and publications and abstracts and presentations are so important if you are applying for one of these specialties, or as you said, even in less competitive specialties, how can you locate these opportunities? And I know just from speaking to my students that if you're just starting out, this can be a really intimidating process. And just to make it harder, you would think that if you are a super smart medical student who's volunteering their time and considerable brain power to write a case report or write a review article or volunteer to work in the lab performing research that There should be lots of opportunities available. And, you know, unfortunately, it really depends as to whether those opportunities are going to be available to you. So I'll just use my example of dermatology at Baylor College of Medicine. You know, we often have a lot of medical students who are interested in the field and who are reaching out for these opportunities. And, you know, surprisingly, there's often not enough opportunities for everyone 
And so because of the challenges that my students have experienced when trying to locate opportunities, that's one of the reasons in this episode, I really wanted to walk through some of these strategies and ideas on how to locate opportunities to either participate in research or be published. So absolutely, it's such an important question. A lot of students ask me this as well. So can you give us your perspective about publications and research? Yes. And I will, you know, let me clarify that although these are two distinct processes, for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to link them together. In our book, The Successful Match, you know, we go into far more detail in our chapter that's called The Competitive Edge. So if our listeners would to go to our website, which is thesuccessfulmatch.com, you can sign up to receive a free 100-page excerpt of the book. And in that free excerpt, you can find this chapter that's called The Competitive Edge. So that'll give a lot more detail about what we're about to talk about. So just to back up, participating in research and contributing to publications can significantly strengthen your application. And of course, as you and I have just mentioned, it's almost a prerequisite for certain programs before they'll even consider you. So Rajini, let's start with publications first. If you haven't participated in a formal research project, can you still be published? Oh, absolutely. In general, if you haven't participated in a formal research project, you would be looking at publications such as a case report or a case series or a review article. And I've written many of these with medical students. So a case report might be a really unusual presentation of a disease or a clinical process. So for example, it might be the first case reported of pseudoporphyria due to Sulindac. So that would be one example of a case report. There are also a lot of medical journals that publish what I call classic cases. So for example, these might be a photo quiz in American Family Physician. So it might be a photograph of a classic presentation of a particular disease. Or it might be a radiographic image, let's say. Uh, But there are actually opportunities to publish these kind of case reports that are maybe not rare cases, but are just classic presentations that are published for teaching purposes. And then a case series is very similar. It's just multiple cases that are a particular clinical process. And then a review article can also be published without having done a formal research project. So, for example, one of the recent review articles that we did were dietary strategies in the treatment of chronic idiopathic urticaria. So that's the type of article where you survey the medical literature and you put it together in a comprehensive review of this topic. And as a medical student, you can participate in any of these, even if you never saw the original patient and even if you are not an expert on this particular topic. It's really just a matter of connecting with the right faculty member who has these type of clinical cases or who has an interest in this topic and then writing this kind of article together. Well, that's very, very helpful information. What about research? Well, you know, research can sound like this really um, intimidating area, but at its core, research is the process whereby we try to answer a question, test a hypothesis. And in our book chapter that I mentioned earlier, I described the scientific method a little bit more extensively. And I think in the past, when people thought about research, they sort of pictured a student in a lab with a pipette 
But there are lots of different ways to approach a scientific question. Nowadays, students might be involved in bench laboratory research, certainly, but they might also be involved in database analysis or survey research or other types of clinical research. And there are lots of different examples of clinical research. For example, students might help researchers document outcomes of a randomized controlled trial looking at a particular drug. I've had students in the past help me with a clinical research project where we analyzed medical records. For example, one study we did looked at cutaneous mold infections in children. And the student researcher was responsible for looking through the medical record of each of these cases and documenting the clinical features that we were interested in, such as age, medical comorbidities, and ultimate outcomes. So when I say research, I'm really encompassing a number of different types of methods and approaches. So, Rajni, I have to ask you, how would a student work on either a publication or a research project? Well, there are certainly lots of different strategies to identify projects that you can work on. I'm going to break it down into sort of three general approaches. Approach number one is to look for current projects that are in progress. The second approach would be to identify cases or topics that you could either write about or research. And then the third approach is what I call follow your curiosity. And it's the approach that requires probably the highest combination of persistence and serendipity. Let's start with the first approach. How do you have students identify current projects or cases? Well, this approach really tends to be the easiest and most straightforward. You know, I kind of think about this in terms of a bulletin board. And you can talk about a public bulletin board and a hidden bulletin board. So in the olden days, um, you know, like when I was a medical student at Baylor, you would just walk by a bulletin board that was in the corridor of the research building and different faculty members would just publicly post that they were looking for a research assistant or they were looking for students to help them with a particular research project. And in the digital world, you need to think about where these bulletin boards would be in your department. So, for example, some departments might post research opportunities on the website for their department. It might just be posted that we're looking for student helpers for this project. Other departments might have a special list serve. Uh, you know, for example, a lot of medical schools now have interest groups for different specialties. So in this case, the dermatology interest group might have a special listserv, and faculty members who are looking for a student researcher to help with one of their current projects might just post on one of these listservs that they're looking for assistance. So that's kind of the public bulletin board. Anybody can access that. Anybody can just sort of walk by and see those opportunities. And then there's also what I call hidden bulletin boards. So in the past, this might have been a bulletin board that was in the teacher's lounge where we don't necessarily want just anybody to see this, but a faculty member with a research project might post that opportunity to other faculty members or might publicize that opportunity to the dermatology residents. And what they're doing by doing that is they're hoping that a student researcher might be referred to them by another faculty member or by a resident. So in that case, the student researcher, you know, comes sort of with a vote of confidence. So how would you find these hidden opportunities? I would definitely start with any current advisors that you have. 
So even if your current advisor doesn't have any current projects, they might know about a colleague who has a project. You know, and beyond that, at every program, there's also sort of a typical standardized format for how a medical student would express an interest in that specialty or in that program. So, for example, the standard procedure at, you know, at Emory might be that you would set up a meeting with the dermatology program director, or there might be a designated student advisor, and you would set up a meeting with that student advisor. And then during this meeting, you can express an interest in doing research. And then that program director would be able to refer you to a particular faculty member. Or if they didn't know about any projects, you know, currently in progress, they might take down your information and they might store it for later if a faculty member were to be looking for a student helper. Another option and a great one would be to talk to current residents. Residents know the faculty really well, and they would typically know if any faculty members were looking for a student researcher. Residents might also have their own opportunities, such as case reports or review articles that need to be written up. And certainly there are residents who are running their own research projects. So residents are really great resources to turn to. That is great information for students who are trying to identify and get involved in what you call current projects. So now what I'd like to do is uh, shift our focus to the second approach, and that is what you call new projects or cases. Well, in this approach, your faculty mentor may not necessarily have a case or a paper in mind, but you might be able to suggest one. And the most common way that this happens is when you see an interesting case on one of your clinical rotations. It might not be fascinating to your attending, but if it's a classic case of, let's say, epidermal lysis bullosa, that might be something you could write up as a case report, as an example of a classic case. You might also see a very unusual case that might work as a case report in a medical journal. It's also, I'll have to say, a lot easier to get to know the residents better when you're working directly with them on a clinical rotation. And this provides a great opportunity to ask the residents directly. You know, Susan, if you see an interesting case, would you be able to let me know? Because I would love to be able to write up a case report. Beyond that, I'd say it's also very helpful to speak to graduating fourth years who have successfully matched into your specialty of choice. Which faculty members are known to work with students? And, you know, once the fourth year has told you that, you could typically reach out directly to those faculty members and ask if you might be able to work on a project or a paper with them. In this case, it definitely helps if you have a student or a resident who is able to arrange that introduction. Even if it's just an email introduction, it helps that faculty member take you seriously. I'll also say that it's a lot easier once you've written a case report to later have opportunities for more extensive publications or research projects. So, Rajini, you also mentioned a third strategy for identifying a research project or a publication. Can you tell us more about that? Certainly. That strategy is what I call follow your curiosity. And like I said, it requires the most persistence and serendipity, but it's another great option. So, for example, if there's a particular topic that you're interested in, you can start to approach others about that particular topic. So, you know, one of my areas of interest is the intersection of diet and dermatology. As a medical student, you might be able to take a research elective. If you have a specific area of interest, so let's say you're interested as well in nutrition and dermatology, 
you could certainly approach a faculty member such as myself, and you can just directly ask if I would be willing to serve as your advisor for that elective month. And this certainly works in a lot of different areas of interest. So if you were interested in mycosis fungoides, you might directly reach out to the faculty member who's a world expert at MD Anderson Cancer Center in mycosis fungoides. And you could just ask that faculty member if you would be able to a research elective with them for one month. And you can also target specific away rotations based on a particular area of interest of yours. So again, if you're interested in mycosis fungoides, you could decide to do an away elective with the world expert at Harvard in that area. And that would certainly give you a lot more opportunities for publications, case reports, and even research projects. I'll also say that if you've already written in a specific area, that also helps as you're following that line of curiosity further. So for example, I've had students who are interested in dermatology and who have an interest in nutrition. They've actually reached out to me via my website asking about specific topics or areas of interest and, uh, you know, and asking if I had any projects to work on. So that's an example of how you would follow that line of curiosity. And I'll have to say that even if I don't have any writing opportunities myself, I have connected students with faculty colleagues who might have those opportunities. And in this case, it's important to note that you don't have to be reaching out to faculty just at your own programs. If you come across an interesting research paper, you could just email that faculty member directly. And of course, there are many that just don't have the time or ability to reach back out to you. And there are a lot of times when you'll, you know, it'll be radio silence. You just won't hear back at all. So this is where I talk about persistence and serendipity. So you might have to send a lot of emails before you get any responses back, um, but that's just part of the process. I'll also say that this is a great strategy to use if you're attending a conference, especially a specialty conference. So again, if you're at a dermatology conference and there's a paper or a presentation that you found particularly interesting, you can approach the faculty member after the presentation and you can express your interest. And you can even ask if they have any research that you could perhaps work on remotely. And that's how I met one of my students who ended up writing a paper with me on dietary approaches to chronic idiopathic urticaria. It just began with her speaking to me after one of my lectures. So again, persistence and serendipity. But this is another one of those very helpful approaches. This is great advice, Rajani. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will find this incredibly useful. Any final words for our students? Well, I, um, I have to say that it can be really intimidating to start this process when you're a medical student because you don't necessarily have a lot of experience approaching faculty members or program directors asking about these opportunities. So I have to say that a lot of it really does come down to persistence. And if you don't find any opportunities immediately, that's just part of the process. You really need to keep that in mind. So I'm just going to wish you the best of luck. To our listeners, this episode has been created for you because we know that so many of you are trying to identify these research opportunities and have a chance to be published. And we wanted to break down this process because it's not at all easy. There's a lot of complexity to it. And uh, we hope that breaking it down in the way that we have will allow you to develop your own approach and land that research opportunity and get published. And uh, as you know, we have 
lots and lots of resources to help you in this journey at our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. So we encourage you to visit our website to utilize those resources. We wish you all the best uh, with your efforts to locate research opportunities and get published and all the best in the residency match. Until next time, I'm Dr. Samir Desai, and this has been the Success in Medicine podcast. Mm -hmm.